Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. It's great to be back uh, from vacation. I did miss talking with you all over the past couple of weeks. And I know Gary did, uh, Pastor Gary did a great job carrying on while I was gone on vacation. And so many of you have told me about how you enjoy when he preaches and when he teaches. And, and I hope you just share that with him to know that you've been blessed by his ministry. Today, we're continuing talking about the essentials of the church where we're looking at the must-haves, the absolutely necessary things for us to be a local church. So far, if you remember, we've looked at being biblically oriented, prayerfully dependent, passionately worshipful, and ministry focused. All of these are great things. I mean, completely essential things to a local church. However, what we're going to talk today is about today is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. And it's one of my favorite things, one, because it makes many of you uncomfortable. But, but two, I remember when my view changed on this. I remember when I went from one side of the equation to the other, and I've seen how blessed my life is because of it. Because today we're going to talk about being courageously generous. And perhaps like you, I had a very hard time when the pastor would talk about giving and money when I was younger. I always assumed that they wanted something from me, not something for me. And it's when I learned there's a big difference there. And when I learned that what they wanted was something for me, not something from me, it changed everything. And you see, that's how I hope you hear this message today. I hope you understand that I want something for you, not something from you. I want you to experience a life of being courageously generous. I want you to experience the blessings that come from that. Not only the blessings that you give others, but the blessings that you receive. Because being courageously generous is what all Christ followers are called to be. You see, giving and tithing, it didn't come natural for me. And if it doesn't come natural for you, just know you're not alone. I had a hard time hearing about it. If you have a hard time hearing about it, just know you're not alone. You see, I didn't grow up tithing. I didn't have tithe jars. I wasn't taught that every dollar or every birthday money or everything I ever got, I was supposed to give back to God. I mean, maybe here and there, but it wasn't really pressed upon me. And so when I started getting serious with my faith and I learned that that meant I had to get serious with my finances, well, well, it challenged me. It, what, scared me. It, it wasn't natural for me. And, and I'll never forget when my pastor invited me to a special leadership dinner. He held it once a year for the key leaders of the church, and this was the first time I'd ever been invited for it. And at that evening, he would cast a vision, we'd have a good meal, and he would ask us as leaders 
to pledge how much we were planning to give to the church that year. It'd been the first time anybody had tried to hold me accountable for giving. You see, my pastor knew that 80% of all the money that comes into a local church, well, is given by about 20% of the people. And you know, that statistic still holds true today. That's what recent studies show anyways. And so this was the first time in my life I'd ever been asked to actually put down a dollar amount. So I committed to give at least 10% of my income. I was gonna be a full-fledged accountable tither that year. Now, here's the thing. I gave pretty regularly. Well, every time I remembered my checkbook or every time I remembered to bring the cash or every time I wasn't on vacation. And I think that's where many people are. We give pretty regularly, well, when we're there and when we think about it. And I think regularly can lead to Well, sometimes, but that year I pledged, I'm gonna make sure that even if I'm not there, even if I'm on vacation, even if I miss it, I'm still gonna make sure I get my money in there to the Lord. And do you know what's crazy? I did that on a Sunday night. I think it was on a Tuesday, just two days later. Do you know I received a raise to cover what I pledged? wasn't expecting it, wasn't something I thought that would happen. What I just learned at that moment was you can't outgive God. And I'm not saying that's necessarily gonna happen to you, but you can hear stories after stories. I mean, you can look for them or I can tell you stories after stories about how people are blessed when they decide to give because God taught me something amazing that day. Even though it was scary to write down that number that I was gonna give, Even though I'd never done something like that before, I committed myself to being accountable to the Lord, to the leadership of the church, and I wrote that number down. The Lord taught me that you can't outgive him. Just two days later, I got a raise that that covered above and beyond what I pledged. And you know what? Most of you already know that about the Lord. If you didn't know, you are a part of one of the most generous churches in this country, And I don't say that lightly. I say that I actually have the statistics to prove it. You are a part of one of the most generous churches in the country, which means most of you can just sit back and nod today. This is one of those easy sermons for you. You could sit back and just nod and just say, amen. Amen, get him, preacher. Tell him, preacher. You can just sit back and relax because you already know this stuff. And even so, we still have to talk about it. Because studies show that only 10 to 25% of a congregation actually tithes. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. I mean, imagine what the local church could do if the other 7.5% came in. Families, they say, families that make over $75,000 a year give less than 1% of their income Excuse me, families that make over $75,000 a year only donated, only 1% of those families were tithers. Meaning the more you make doesn't mean the more you give. Jesus will teach us about that today. And studies show that not talking about money doesn't actually increase giving. It hasn't helped it. The old adage goes that, well, if the preacher stopped talking about money, I'd give. 
Well, if they just wouldn't talk about it, then I would be generous. But that just isn't true because they studies show that religious giving is down 50% since 1990. And you see those little statistics, those little things break my heart because so many people and maybe even you are missing out on the incredible blessings from God by being generous. You see, Jesus had so much to say about money and possessions. He talked about money and possessions more than faith and prayer combined. In fact, one, one person says there's over 2,300 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions and how to properly use them. In fact, he talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. You see, Jesus knew what I hope you can learn. That there's a massive connection between your finances and your heart. And the Lord wants your heart. And I want you to experience an incredible life. I want you to experience a blessed life where God is interacting and intervening on behalf of you through your generosity. You see, no matter what you think, you can be generous because you were created to be generous. It can be a thing you can become. It may not seem natural because we all deal with sin, but I promise you, you were created to be generous. You just have to be motivated by the right things. Because generosity, well, it's an essential of the church. And so today we're going to dive in and we're going to look at one of the hardest parables or illustrations of Jesus to understand. I mean, this thing baffles scholars. I, don't, I never liked talking about it before, but this time when I looked at it, it struck me different. This time when I looked at it, the Lord really taught me some things that I'd miss all the other times. So I want us to go over it today. If you have your Bible with you, you're going to need that today. Go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 16. Jesus is going to teach us why generosity, why our money is so important. Luke 16, verse 1 says this. It says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, let's stop right there because like you, you know where Jesus's parables usually go. And when there's usually an owner or a manager or somebody in charge, that usually represents God. So right at the get-go, he says there's a rich man who had a manager and the rich man accused his manager of wasting his wealth. And so right away, we end up pausing going, well, could he, could he accuse me? of wasting his wealth. He continues. He says, so he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me in their houses. So he called in each one of his master debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 
A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And look at this. This is what's so confusing. The master commended the dishonest manager because he, is, he acted shrewdly, which is wise. He, he thought about the future. And then Jesus says this. For the people of the world are more shrewd or wise or have more thought in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. You see, you had a manager who knew he was getting fired. So he cut the bill of all these people that owed his boss money before he left. He tidied up affairs by securing himself friends. He tidied up affairs by cutting the bills of other people so they would welcome him in and he'd get a job. And all scholars agree this is extremely difficult to understand because why in the world would the master commend him? Why would the master say this was wise for what he did? Why isn't the master upset that he lost all that money? This is where scholars, well, well, they act like scholars. They start diving in, and there's three kind of main ideas. One is that he simply was continuing to be dishonest and cheated his boss. That's probably not likely because, well, the master doesn't get mad at him. The second thought is he probably, they say he canceled the interest. The Mosaic law says they're not supposed to charge interest, so perhaps he just canceled the interest and cut it down. And then the master couldn't really be mad because he was actually following the Bible. So he just kind of went with it. But another theory, which is my favorite and one that a lot of scholars hold is that what he was doing here was cutting his commission out. That while these people owed his master all this money, he would have received commission for collecting it and managing affairs. And so scholars think what he was doing is he was cutting his part out now so he could get ready for the future. And that actually makes sense with what Jesus teaches here. But either way, no matter why he does it, Jesus's point remains the same. And this is what we have to look at. This is to what he was getting at. He says, the people of this world put more thought or more shrewd or wiser in dealing with their own kind, meaning their own affairs, their own money, thinking about what's ahead. They're more shrewd than are people of the light meaning a dishonest manager puts more thought into his future than Jesus followers put into their future. Meaning the way we deal with our finances, the way we deal with other people, we don't really put thought into what's next. We're just putting thought into what's now. And Jesus says, no, no, put thought in about later. Not just your investments, not just your retirement. I mean, he says, put your thoughts into much Later, And so then Jesus gives us application. He gives three ways in which we can have forward thinking advice. How you and I can use our finances now to impact eternity. Number one, he says, be generous with your wealth. And I, I bet you don't know this is in here. I bet some of you do, but I bet a lot of us don't because this is a very strange teaching from Jesus. Look at what he says to apply it. He says in Luke 16, 9, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Did you know Jesus told you to use your wealth to gain friends? He says, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. 
First, I want you to see a couple of things. Notice Jesus distinguishes between worldly wealth versus true wealth or worldly wealth versus heavenly treasures you know he talks about. And while the NIV correctly translates the word worldly, so we get the understanding there's a difference between heavenly riches and worldly treasures, it literally means unrighteous wealth. Jesus calls the money of this world unrighteous wealth. Now, he's not saying that having money is bad. That wouldn't make any sense. Daryl Box says he calls it unrighteous wealth probably because the pursuit of it can make people selfish, cause them to take advantage of others, and cause them to be unfaithful to God. Money has a way of making us unrighteousness. And I bet it's true. I bet you've sinned with money before. Whereas heavenly treasures, on contrast, where we pursue the things of God, will never lead to selfish inward pursuits. It always seeks others. And did you know that what we deal with now, how we deal with our money will impact our heavenly rewards? But some of us knew that. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6.20. He says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Differently than worldly wealth. Treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, we're not supposed to store up our, and hoard our earthly wealth. We're to store up treasures in heaven. We're to use our worldly wealth to earn treasures in heaven. We, we use it. It's an investment for eternity. And Jesus says, use the money you have here. One thing he says, use the money you have here to make friends. Use your wealth to make friends. Now, how do you do that? It's obvious by being generous with others, by sharing with others. You see, this word for wealth isn't just money. The word here used is mammon, which is an Aramaic term for your money, possessions, pretty much your wealth, possessions, everything you have. And so Jesus' forward-thinking advice is this. He says, use your wealth to gain friends. And and this should blow your mind because loving your neighbor isn't just about feeding poor people, okay? It includes that. And yes, we should feed the poor, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah. Why don't you use the stuff you have to be generous with others? Why not share your belongings with others? Why not bless others? Those things you have, those things you can afford, that family down the road who can't, why don't you share and bless them? Why don't you help them? Use your money to gain influence. Use your money to create friends. Be generous so people like you. I mean, that's literally what Jesus tells us to do. Because when your money's gone, and here he's speaking about death, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Scholar Robert Stein says, believers should conduct their lives that when this world and its wealth comes to an end, God will welcome them into his presence. We can use our wealth to serve God and to serve others. We should use our money in a way to bless and help others. And so this advice from Jesus is look for opportunities to share. Look for opportunities to help people. And what does this look like? I can just tell you personally how I've benefited from this. 
We have friends who invited our family over to go dirt biking in a dirt bike track and use some of their stuff. You see, we can't afford dirt bikes, and my kids like that kind of stuff. And this family invited us over, allowed us to use their stuff, and I thought I broke it because I crashed twice. Don't tell anybody. But they allowed us to use their stuff to ride dirt bikes. And my kids, my, my little baby girl knows how to ride a dirt bike now, and my son Troy was trying to do tricks. I mean, they'll never forget it. This family blessed our family. Our neighbor, when our kids were gone this on vacation for a couple of days, the kids went with the grandparents. It was just Jessica and I. Uh, one of our neighbors invited us to go jet skiing with them. I mean, he blessed us. He said, yeah, come on out and let us use them. And we had a good old time. We have somebody here at the church who blesses us and, and gives us um, putt-putt tickets for, for my family. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm blessed in numerous ways by people putting this in to practice, but you can too. And I hope I've done it for others. Jesus is saying, be generous and share. Look for opportunities to bless other people. Look for opportunities to share with what you do have with others. Because all of us can get a little better at sharing. Number two, he says, be faithful and our money in our stewardship. So first he said, be generous with others. Now he's saying, be faithful in our money and stewardship. Look at what he says here. He says, verse 10, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's simple to understand. Jesus says, you are who you are. 2,000 years ago, they were saying the same things we were saying today, that if I just had more, if I had one more zero, if I got that raise, when I finally get there, then I will do this. But Jesus says, no, you are who you are. If you're not faithful with a little, you're not gonna be faithful with a lot. It's not about how much you have, it's a character issue. It's a heart issue. It's a being faithful issue. It's your character. He goes on to say this. So if you have, verse 11, so if you've not been trusted in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? See, so remember, all of this has to do with forward-thinking advice. There's greater things than worldly wealth. There's true heavenly riches. And so if we can't be trusted now in this age with worldly wealth, why would we think God's going to entrust us with heavenly blessings for the age to come? So, Brian, surely God's not talking about eternity. No, surely he is. His point is, if God can't trust you here and now with what he's given you, why would you be expecting something on the other side of eternity? Why would you be expecting rewards and treasures? Why would you be expecting to be put in charge of anything if he can't trust you now? See, there are two important things going on in the backdrop of this because these are Jewish people and there are two important things they already knew that maybe I need to catch up on. Two principles. Number one, they understood that God has already told us the bare minimum what to do with our money. The, the, the minimal, the, the lowest thing we're supposed to do with our money and it's called what? Come on, front row, what is it? Yeah, tithing, tithing, that's right. 
The Bible teaches that we are simply stewards. We are managers for God's resources. We are a conduit. God's blessings come into us and we give them back out to others. Everything is his. And one of the principles he teaches us is to tithe. Tithing is giving him back 10%. Giving 10% to continue on the ministries for him. And see, tithing always is brought to the house of worship. You can trace it back all the way through the Old Testament and beyond. It's always brought back to where you worship. And so we tithe to the local church so the ministries of Christ can continue. And this is very important to understand. Tithing is not considered being generous. No matter how much you tithe, tithing is not generosity. Tithing is what is expected. See, generosity is defined as showing a readiness to give more of something as money or time than is strictly necessary or expected. And tithing is expected. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says this. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? I mean, who wants to be accused of robbing God? Could you imagine that? He says, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, which was the place of worship. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And he goes from one extreme by accusing us of robbing him to a place of extreme blessing. You see, when we hold back our tithe, God considers it, and and this may sound harsh, but you just got to know the truth. God considers it robbery. We're robbing him. And instead of robbing him, he says, listen, I'm not, it's not that I'm going to come after you. He says, although you're under a curse, we'll talk about that. But he says, I don't want you to be that way. I want you to see the true blessings that come from giving. And he says, test me. I dare you. I dare you to give. Watch what happens. I'm going to bless you in such a way you won't have enough room to deal with the blessings. And this isn't just financially, although it can include that. This is all of life's blessings. It makes me wonder how many of us are living outside of God's blessing because we're hoarding. We want God to come through. We, We need him to come through. We're waiting and we're expecting, but yet we're ignoring this very principle of God blessing us by tithing, by giving back to him. You see, he wants us to be obedient and you will learn, I promise you, you will learn that you cannot outgive God. It's impossible. And it takes courage to tithe. It takes courage to be accountable for it. It takes courage if you've never done it, you've never tried it, it's scary. But you see, you can't have courage if there's not fear present. And so the only way to be courageously generous, if it makes you a little bit nervous, if you're not a little nervous by what you give, I ask you to give more. Have some courage. Step out on faith. Show some bravery there. See, if you're not there, if you're not already given, if you're not tithing, I want you to think about this. Would you rather be blessed by, with nine, would you rather God bless your 90% or have 100% of it cursed?
Let's think about that. And so that's a tithe, and an offering is anything above a tithe. That's where generosity comes into place. Remember, even if you tithe 10% and you make $5 million, you tithe $500,000 a year, that's still not generosity. That's just expected. It's anything above and beyond that. And Jesus illustrates this. It's not a dollar amount. It's a heart. It's a percentage thing. Mark 12, 41 through 44, Jesus says this. Said, well, excuse me, Mark says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So Jesus sat back, he's just watching people give, just looking. Imagine if Jesus watched when we passed that offering plate. I bet everybody's checkbook would come out then, huh? So he was watching it. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, only worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. She gave, they gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty and put in everything, all she had to live on. I mean, check this out. Jesus sitting here watching people do their thing. And this widow comes, puts in a couple of penny. Jesus stops it all, goes and grabs his disciples. He's like, come on, gosh, check this out. Look, 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 watch, watch. So like, what Jesus was going? He said, she just gave some pennies. They're like, all right. He's like, no, 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 you missed it. She... She doesn't have anything. He's like, check that out. Check her out. She gave a couple of cents. She gave everything. Sacrificial giving impresses Jesus. Enough. We'll be like, hey, hey, angels, come on. Look, look. Did you see that? Woo. That sacrifice. See, remember, we're talking about this because of Jesus' advice. He's saying, if you're not faithful with what I've given you now, why would you expect to have something later? Why would you expect to be blessed in heaven? And if you're not being faithful with tithes, listen, get on track. I'll talk about how to do that here in a little bit, but work your way towards it because he promises to bless you. He says, test me. Talk more about that in a little bit. So the backdrop of this section is tithing, but then number two is the fact that we will be held accountable for what we do with what we've been given. We are going to be held accountable for what we've done with what he's given. And so Jesus says, prepare for the future. Just like that manager knew, his, he was being fired. He knew he had a different reality he was stepping into. So he prepared for that reality. That was Jesus's point. We too should think about the other reality, the future, our eternal dwellings, life to come, and prepare wisely. Daryl Bach says, the exhortation is to be faithful now. So, that one may be given a greater responsibility in the life to come. You see, while you and I, while we're saved, through, we're saved by grace through faith, we will all stand before God and give an account. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And I know judgment's not popular and we don't want to be judged and we don't want people to think things about us, but just listen. 
you will stand before Christ and give an account of everything you've been given. Everything. We will stand before him. And this is what I think he's referring to when he says that people be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I think the people who are excited, excuse me, I think the people who are generous are gonna be excited. They're gonna leave this earth and go into heaven like, I'm here. I've been preparing for this. I know that it's real. I've been investing in it financially. I can't wait to see what the Lord's got for me. Some of us are gonna be like, oh man. I know I'm going, but I got to give an account. Jesus doesn't want that. We got to give an account whether good or bad. I believe with all my heart that selfish, greedy people are going to dread standing before God, give an account. I would be. And if that's where you've been, repent. He forgives All of your sins, meaning you don't have to go in to heaven like that. You don't have to worry about it. You can repent and be forgiven and chart a new course now. You see, even non-Christians, Jesus said, think about their future. Why don't we? So be generous to others. Look for opportunities to share and bless people. Be faithful with your money and stewardship. And it all comes down to this third point where Jesus says, serve God, not money. Luke 16, 13. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And you already know this, but money has a way of wanting to control us. We were created to worship and we will always worship something and it better be God. We better not worship our possessions or our things because when we get up to eternity, none of that's matter and all of your family is gonna blow everything you have anyways. They probably already have plans on what they're gonna sell. It's just true. All of that stuff you're hanging on to, they're just gonna sell it, get it away. Don't serve money. This is where everything we've learned today comes crashing together because you and I struggle with this. We say, well, I'm supposed to bring glory to God. I'm supposed to do my best at everything I do for his glory. I'm supposed to work hard. So how do I know if I'm working too much or I'm not working enough? How do I know if I'm serving God or if I'm serving money? I mean, where's the line? To which I would ask, how are you living? Are you living open-handedly or close-fisted? Are you faithfully tithing and giving offering? Are you faithfully giving back? You say, well, Brian, I'm just not there. Well, you're serving money. Are you looking for opportunities to bless others and share with others? You're like, nah, I mean, I've earned it, so it's mine. Why'd well, say you're serving your mammon, your possessions? Why not try a different way? I mean, are you serving money over your family? I mean, and the list can go on and on. But it's, are you living open-handed or close-handed? I mean, you can work hard, have a good job and climb the career ladder and still serve God. I mean, clearly Joseph was in high places. Clearly King David was in high places. Clearly you can be a leader and have a lot of responsibility and make a lot of money and still serve God. It's just, where's your heart? What are you doing with it? Are you sharing? Are you blessing? Are you looking for ways to give or are you hoarding it? And as Christians, we are called to be courageously generous. 
Meaning take a step of faith, be a little nervous about it. And through the book of Luke and Acts, we see all sorts of examples of this. See, just a couple of verses later, Jesus gives the illustration of the rich man and Lazarus, the great reversal of prosperity where Lazarus, or excuse me, Lazarus was sitting there begging, just wanting the droppings, the, the, the crumbs of food that would fall on the floor from the rich man, but he didn't care. The great reversal is that in eternity, the Lazarus had it all and the rich man just wanted to taste a drop of water and it couldn't happen. We see the positive example of Zacchaeus. Remember him? The wee little man, the wee little man was he. Y'all, this is gonna be stuck in your head for the rest of the day now. Okay, but Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, who once he found salvation in Christ, he gave away half of his possessions to the poor. I mean, 50% gone out, cleared out, 401k, 50% gone, savings, 50% gone, regular, 50% gone, gave it to the poor, and then paid back every person he ever cheated four times the amount they were owed. Talk about grace. He realized, man, if I've been forgiven for all that I've done, let me go share the wealth. The early church, look at what it says about them, Acts 2, 44 through 45. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common and they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And this isn't socialism. Nobody was required to do this. They chose to share their wealth. Acts 4 32 through 35 says, all the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Look at this, look at this, this is so important. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. God's grace was at work. God's grace was so powerful. They were motivated by the grace of God. Once you experience God's grace, you will be motivated to bless and share with others. Experiencing grace is the key. It's understanding that we are deserving of nothing. We are sinners, but Christ died. He gave up his life. He gave up his rights so we could live. While he was innocent, he took on our guilt and shame and died a gruesome criminal's death so we could be saved. He gave up everything, a high position in the throne above and gave it up so you and I could live. Once we understand that God has given us and is so gracious with us, we are then compelled to be gracious and share with other people. When the gospel grabs your life, it'll grab your checkbook. Well, if you let it, if you stop putting it in the safe, saying, well, it can't touch that. Because we are called to be courageously generous. So be generous with what you have. Many of you already are. Just continue to be generous and look for opportunities to share and bless people. Be faithful with your tithes and offerings. God says, test them, and he'll take care of it from there. And serve God. Use what he's given you for his glory. And so, like I said, those of you who 
Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not tithing. I just want to give a couple of next steps for all of you who, who need to get back on trip. Nelson Searcy gives in his book called Gener- Generosity Ladder a, a way to, to get on track with giving. He says, first, become a regular giver. And what this means is just set aside a certain percentage every time you get paid that you're going to give. I wouldn't do a dollar. I would do a percentage. So that way that percentage can increase with the rate of your finances increasing because that's what God tells us to give. So set aside, maybe it's 2%, maybe it's 3%. Whatever your percent is, become a regular giver. Hold yourself accountable. Figure out what that number would be and commit to giving it. But while this is a great place to start, it's the bottom of the ladder, you wanna become and work your way up to a proportional giver. This is where you get to that 10% mark. This is where God's asked us to be. I believe as you climb your way there, he'll take care of you. But 10% is where he wants you to be. So work your way. Maybe it's 5%, then 6%, then 7%. But become a proportional giver. And the only way to get there is to recognize that God owns everything anyways. And then the next rung is being the extravagant giver. This is where you go beyond the tithe. This is where you realize that 10% isn't enough. 10% is the minimum. And none of us, you overachievers here, those of you competitive type, nudge your spouse if it's them. You overachievers, 10% isn't winning. 10% is the minimum. It's barely making it. Like I, I just got it. It's extravagant giver of those who look to go above and beyond. And that takes time. Some of you, 10% is where you're at. Maybe go to 11 Maybe go to 10.5. Maybe go to 12. Maybe some of you, you're already at 20, 30%. I know many of you give a lot of, of, of giving here because I told you statistically, our church, you all are generous. So you're sitting around people who are already doing this, but you can continue to just be extravagant and give for God's work. And those of you who are already there and maybe you just kind of hold to things a little closed fisted, I'd ask you to practice generosity by start giving stuff away. I know you could have a yard sale. I know you could put it on Facebook Marketplace for, for five bucks. But why not look for ways to bless people? If you can't give away stuff you don't even like, need, or want, how could you possibly give away the things you could use? So what I challenge you to do is start living open-handed. Clean out your 14 storage sheds, or maybe you just have three or maybe one. Clean out your attic, clean out your garage. For some of you, you have to clean out your attic, your garage, your shed, and a couple storage sheds. I mean, if you have that much stuff, come on. Start blessing people. Look for opportunities to share with others. Or look at those toys, those things you have at your house, those fun things. You know, share with your neighbor down the road, help them. I mean, I'm just telling you that people have blessed me that way, created great memories. And maybe you could just start blessing people with things that you already have. Or I've heard people carry cash around with them. I heard a story of one guy who keeps a couple hundred dollar bills in his wallet waiting for the spirit to lead them to give it away. And maybe you can't carry around a $100 bill. Maybe you've never seen one. I completely understand that. But maybe you have a 10 or a five. I know people who wait for God to give them. They are preparing. They said, I know God's called me to be generous. I know he's blessed me financially. So they intentionally keep money in their wallet so they can be a blessing at a moment's notice. 
When the Spirit speaks, they do it. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to bless someone I didn't have the money on me. Like, hey, you take a card? Of course they don't. Prepare. Prepare for the Holy Spirit. And then pray every morning and say, Lord, show me how I can bless other people. You get their point. There's so many ways, but the whole reason we're talking about this is so we can be courageously generous. Because God wants you to experience a life of generosity. And you are most like God. You are most like him when you were giving, when you being gracious, when you were sharing. And all of this, the Lord says, will come back to us in heavenly rewards. So look for ways to be generous. Be faithful with what he's already asked you to do. In other words, serve God, not money. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, and we just ask for your patience, your peace, and your guidance. Lord, some of us, it took us four times to get through this message because, well, the preacher's talking about money. Some of us, we've kind of held on because we know we're supposed to watch it. We're just kind of holding our fists tight. Just look at your hands, Lord. Allow us to just be open-handed. Allow us to give and receive at a moment's notice. Allow us to really embrace that we cannot outgive you. That you are a gracious God who loves to bless his children. But many of the times we're not blessed is because we would do the wrong things with it. We would hoard it, we would waste it, and we would blow it. So God, teach us how we can get on track. How we can use our finances as a tool for your glory. And Lord, I thank you that as a pastor, I can brag and say that I serve such a generous church, that this church continues to teach me and challenge me to be more generous. What a blessing that is. Lord, I thank you for that. And I love you and we love you. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.